The biggest mistake successful men and women do at midlife when they're on a quest for renewal is they jump to the solution too quickly. They don't take the time to get clear on who they are, their strengths, their passions, and then their calling. They jump to where could I serve and they take board roles or they or they leave their platform in corporate America or sell their company before they're sure whether they even need it or not. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Lloyd Reeb. Now, Lloyd is the primary spokesperson for the Halftime Institute, and he wrote a book called From Success to Significance that I really think is a great companion book to the Bob Buford classic, Halftime. Lloyd was a successful real estate developer, and after redefining success in 1993, he reoriented his direction towards significance. If that sounds like where you're at and you're having this gnawing ache for more significance in your life, or you know someone that is in that season, Halftime Institute has partnered with us to get you a free copy of Halftime, as well as one hour of halftime coaching with no obligation. You can find out more by going to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. That's eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Or look for that link embedded in the description of this MP3. I'll have all that information again at the end of the show. Here now is my co-host John Ramstead's interview with Lloyd Reeb on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on Eternal Leadership, we have a friend of mine, Lloyd Reeb. I met Lloyd when I was down at the Halftime Institute and I did a a two-day workshop in person down there, and it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And a number of my breakthroughs that I had when I was down there that really led me to opening up into this life of significance that we've talked about on this show really came from the teachings of this incredible man, Lloyd, who I'm so excited to share today and have on the podcast. So Lloyd, welcome to Eternal Leadership. Thank you, John. So great to be part of uh, what you're doing and the way you're engaging hundreds and hundreds of people from around the world in topics that can uh, transform their leadership. Well, I appreciate that. And, and Lloyd, you know, before we get started, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself. The audience can get to know you and and, and just hear where your heart is and, and what you've done. Yeah. You know, I'm a real estate developer at the core. Uh, I call myself a recovering real estate developer because I think it gets in your blood and and it's a little bit like an addiction. I, I bought my first piece of land when I was um, a teenager and my dad was my banker. He lent me money. I paid him back with interest and um, the land went up in value. And then when I graduated from McGill University, I, I bought um, an orchard from my father-in-law, 18 acres, and built a subdivision. And he took a chance on me, and it was a great start. And, and so over the years, I've built and developed retirement housing with my partner. But there was a point when I began to wonder, is this really all there is? Do I just continue to build buildings for the rest of my life and grow my net worth? Or is there some other purpose that I was put on this planet? Is there maybe something I'm missing? How can I use this talent and these uh, resources in a way that might actually produce something that outlasts me? And I, I made a few trips that were exploratory just to see what, what God was doing around the world. Started to break my heart and change my perspective on what really mattered at the end of the day. And that opened up a conversation. It wasn't a comfortable conversation. It was awkward with my peers, with, with my wife, Linda. Uh, but today I look back on that. That was 20 years ago. And these have been the richest and most rewarding years of my life. Interestingly, we didn't sell the company. And I've found over these years that you don't necessarily need to bail from corporate America or sell your company in order to pursue more meaning and purpose in your second half. But you really do need to stop long enough to make eye contact with the Lord and get your unique assignment from him and then go and and do it with, with everything that you have. Now, you talked about an uncomfortable conversation, Lloyd. I, I definitely get the sense that you are a very focused, driven person. So coming out of high school and college, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I was target locked on a net worth number. I don't know if you had that experience, John, but, you know, I had just a, a target and uh, I was 
going after it with everything I could bring to it. I was completely focused on growing my wealth. And it was quite simple in my mind that you get the best education to get the best career going to make the most money so you could retire as early as possible to 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 what on earth I, you would do the rest of your life. I had no idea, you know. So at the time, you had no idea what retirement was, but you just wanted to be able to do it. Yeah, just you know, I just wasn't thinking carefully. And I think there's a lot of us that get caught into a sort of course in our career and in our pursuit of success without stopping and asking the question, if my life turned out perfectly, what would the elements be? You know, after 10 or 12,000 hours now of coaching people through midlife renewal, I almost always start with that question. It's a metrics question. I mean, you and I wouldn't build a business if we didn't have clear metrics for what a win looks like. I was teaching at Deloitte University not long ago, and I asked the young partners there, would you begin a consulting strategy with a consulting client if they didn't have clear metrics? And they said to me, no, we wouldn't do that, and all the reasons why they wouldn't do that. And I asked them, well, you got a pad of paper in front of you. Take the next minute and write down for me what the metrics are in your life, and then we'll talk about it. Well, you you could have you, you you would have seen they look like deer caught in headlights. They really had never thought about long term metrics for their life, and so that question is a helpful one to start with to get some long term metrics. If my life turned out perfectly, what would the elements be? And it's different than asking if my life were perfect. You know, five years from now, what would it look like? That's more of a tactical question. This was a long term question. I spent a lot of time answering that one question. When I got clear on that, then it put my business in a different perspective. So, you know, taking that, you said that 20 years ago, you had this uncomfortable conversation. What was uncomfortable about that for you? Well, first, I was confused about what was going on in my head and heart. I wasn't used to trying to put those emotions into words. And so as I talked about it with Linda, she wasn't sure if I was having a midlife crisis or what was happening to me. You know, it was a she was sort of tempted to say, look, honey, just go back to the office like every other normal, successful Christian dad. You've got three kids, you know, they were eight, six, and three at the time. And um, then it was com uncomfortable with my business partner because we were building a business together and um, he was dependent on my complementary skill sets, and and of course I was dependent on his. And when I started to talk about um, what I felt God was prompting me to explore, um, it, it created angst. So I was confused, and it was challenging and, and sort of threatening for them. Well, you know, clarity. I, I'm, I'm thinking about these young consultants at Deloitte Institute, and you asked them about metrics. Now, business metrics. I think every all of us in leadership and in business understand what those metrics are, and then we can dive down into getting those very specific. But we're talking about life metrics. Mm. How did you get clarity? Well, Bob Buford, my mentor, challenged me to take uh, a significant portion of the summer while I was on vacation and think about this question. And so I did. I wrote pages of notes, and I boiled it down to one page, and I boiled it down to a little card John, that's about an inch and a half by an inch that's plasticized that I carry in my wallet. By now, it's all yellow. I mean, it, it's an ancient document, you know? But every week as I stand in line to check in at an airport somewhere, I pulled it out of my wallet and I ask a simple question. Am I living my life in alignment with these long-term metrics? And I'll tell you, I told the people at Deloitte, this is the second most important piece of paper in my life. It, which, of course, begs the question, what's the first? What's the first? <laughs> <laughs> which is my Bible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can't get that on a three and a half by five card. <laughs> no, you can't. Well, you know what I'm thinking about? You pull out that card today, which you wrote quite a few years ago. Is everything on that card still completely relevant? And if so... How did you get so in touch with these core principles about yourself that made it relevant long-term? Yeah. Well, these uh, these tend to be longer-lasting values or, or metrics because um, they're not strategic and they're not tactical. Um, 
And I think what has happened is that they've been rooted in the Bible, and in part they've shaped how I live, but they've, like the Bible, they've continued to recalibrate my heart. Hmm. So these these six metri- metrics for me are that I would if if it was our 80th, my, you know, if we, you and I were eighty and our wheelchairs collided somewhere in a retirement home somewhere, <laughs> and you looked over at me and said, uh, Lloyd, how did it turn out? And I mm-hmm. said to you, perfectly. Here's how I would know because I worship God every day. I became someone who gives gave liberally, not just my money, but my heart and my time. I had a few intimate relationships. I made a leveraged impact as a thought leader. Now, that's a lot of what we cover in the, in the Halftime Institute is what are your strengths and what's your calling? Without a sense of calling, it's like a ship with no keel. So my strengths are thought leadership. And I'm looking for leverage. Every real estate developer is a, loves leverage, right? Correct. So I'm looking for leverage as a thought leader. I'm not an organizational leader. And I help people th- gain clarity about complex thinking in their life. And the last two metrics are quite personal. I would have kept in top shape physically and spent my life surrounded by beauty. Now, I almost cut those last two out because they didn't seem sort of spiritual. And my personal board of directors said, Lloyd, you're 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 being silly. You're 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 giving us Sunday school answers. You you need to leave those in. That's who you are. That you're, you, that's what you value. So don't, you know, and, and they reminded me, who created beauty after all? You know, where did beauty come from? Do you think it's not spiritual? God created beauty. You know, just look at the fish and the animals and the birds. So those have been my metrics. Now, I, I would encourage each of us to take some time to think through metrics. At the Halftime Institute, we spent a bunch of time not only looking forward and gaining clarity on metrics, but looking back and seeing who you are and what's gone well and not so well. And then from that foundation, build towards clarity around your calling. Now, when you talked about leverage as a thought leader, what what kind of leverage is that, Lloyd? Well, you know, I think you could gain leverage if if you're looking for eternal impact through your life. If if I'm no longer satisfied with a 30-year return on investment, but I'm looking for a million-year, a thousand-year return on investment, I want to invest my time and money talent in something that's going to outlast this next 30 years. I'm 52 today. I got 30 years left, Lord willing. So uh, then I've got to figure out how I can gain leverage. You know, part of that is getting counting on God to produce results by the work of his spirit. And part of that is using my brain to that he gave me to work for, on ways to gain leverage. So if I invest in a leader who s- launches a movement that impacts millions of people. That's leverage. And so, for example, the guys I serve every day are guys like Gary Verink, who spent 30 years at Dow Chemical and retired in his 50s with a long you know, runway left and a lot of talent and energy. Today, he's the He's the COO for International Justice Mission. He basically runs a law firm out of Washington, D.C., fighting the bad guys who are putting women in sex trafficking all around the world. Now, I couldn't do what he does, but I can invest in a thousand guys like him who can make that kind of impact. Now, I I think that's a 100x yield, and it's not just a 30-year return. It's his team is impacting girls' lives and bringing not only freedom but the message of God's love and compassion in ways that will change generations. A thousand years from now, when you and I are sitting around in heaven celebrating all the wonderful things God did, and that'll be the kind of stories that we tell. Maybe we'll hang out with Gary and, and re- retrace the steps of how God used his 30 years at Dow to equip him to do what is the most rich and compelling component of his life. You know, I always envision it'd be really neat one day sitting up in heaven and God showing you how everything's connected. You sewed into Gary's life. Maybe there's a woman that he pulled out of this whole terrible lifestyle and and she caught the vision and then she impacted thousands who impacted thousands and all of a sudden you're just seeing this little ripple that that led into the lives eternally of millions of people because you embraced this identity with God and let let out this calling but mm. i just think 
that would be a really neat uh, thing that might happen someday if he if he revealed that to us. Yeah, and so so there's that side of our journey, right, John? Where we are we we were given a Porsche engine, not a Chevrolet engine, or whatever. When we were born, it just we didn't ask for that, and it, it led to marketplace success. And now we look at our our second half, and we don't want to just golf every day. We're looking for meaning and impact. There's a parallel track, though. That's the heart journey, and and that's about allowing God to reshape my identity. In not be addicted to performance. So it looks like those two are mutually exclusive. Either you do care about the difference you make in the world and you want to make a bigger impact and bigger is better, or you don't. But it can't, it doesn't seem like they both could be true. And that is the richness of our second half, is at the same time as we're going on a head journey, looking for clarity about our calling, wanting to make as much impact as we can in this world, we're going on a heart journey with God. There was a writer in the 12th century who wrote a, sen- a single sentence that changed my view on what, what God's up to. When he wrote that God doesn't need me, he wants me. So think about that. God doesn't need me running his errands today. He, he's, he's got that covered. It's my privilege to join him in what he's already doing and to partner with him to change the world one person at a time. There was a mentor in my life who asked me the question, Lloyd, if God took away your business, and then he went on to say, and your ministry, would you be satisfied with just your relationship with him? That's an interesting question. Yeah, and I answered my honest answer was no, and so that's a that's a process of God reshaping my identity and my performance metric, and that's one of the reasons that that these long term metrics in my life are still standing true today, because they're a balance of those two. It's what we find in the Bible. There's the first metric is I would have worshipped God every day. And in that process, I realize who I am and who he is. And he doesn't need me running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to accomplish things. He's not wringing his hands at this world spinning out of control, and he hopes that I show up. He has it in control. He wants me to partner with him. He will use you and I to make a leveraged impact, Um, but he doesn't need us scurrying around. Well, you know, you talked about your unique calling, and I, I think your your analogy of the Chevy engine and the Porsche engine is so appropriate. There's so many people that just look at their lives, and they're busy, and everything's going on, and uh, they might have these limiting beliefs, or they don't feel that they can really create this this you know eternal impact. So how do you get somebody to look in the mirror and not see themselves through their own eyes, but see themselves through the eye as God looks at them and and what he sees. Well, if, if I go back to the to the Bible, which I think is probably the the only real true source for my life, then I would land on Galatians six, verse four and five, in the Message translation. So, you know, I grew up mem- with my family were, were encouraged me to memorize the King James version. I got my first jean jacket when I was seven for memorizing Psalm one <laughs> in no the King James. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was the best $21 my grandmother spent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I read the message translation now because it startles my thinking, disrupts my thinking. And in Galatians six, four and five, it says, give careful thought to who you are and the work you've been given and sink yourself into it. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you, must do the creative best you can with your own life. What I love about that is it gives every single one of us hope that by giving careful thought to who we are and the work we have been given, that we can then trust God and sink our life into that and leave the results to him. If, uh, if you think about it, There's no such thing as a small assignment if it comes from God. Mother Teresa said, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God sending a love letter to the world. And I remember thinking, well, if she's a little pencil, then 
I'm a really, really small pencil. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, it doesn't matter the size of the pencil. It matters whose hand is writing with my life. So you need a few things. To gain clarity, What the biggest mistake successful men and women do at midlife when they're in a, on a quest for renewal is they jump to the solution too quickly. They don't take the time to get clear on who they are, their strengths, their passions, and then their calling. They jump to where could I serve, and they take board roles, or they, or they leave their platform in, in corporate America or sell their company before they're sure whether they even need it or not. Tony was a, a um, fascinating, successful real estate uh, uh, car dealer that came through the Halftime Institute. When I had uh, lunch with him before the Institute, he he said to me, well, I'm at a place where I need to sell these dealerships and get on to something more meaningful. And I said to him, well, Tony, do me, do me a favor. Wait a little bit and think through who you are. And you might need those, those as a platform. It might be your your vehicle for impact. And unless you know what your calling is, you could make a mistake. Well, sure enough, this is three years later, and they are the vehicle God's using to begin to transform areas of human need within three-mile radius of all of his five or six dealerships. He just started with his own team and started something called We Care. And they started caring for the employees inside in a different and unique way, a strategic way. And then together they started to identify pockets of human need within three miles of every dealership they had. And he's taken he's, uh, some of his COO role and given it away to become more of a chairman and freed up some time. And he's pursuing you know, partnerships with well-run existing nonprofits in the urban areas where his dealerships are to effective transform lives and finding deep, rich fulfillment in doing so. So we always say to people, it's a process of getting clear, getting free, and getting going. And as you get going, you test your way into clarity. You don't jump into it. You do some low-cost probes. After you do a few low-cost probes, you'll have more clarity about your calling. So one of the biggest mistakes people make is they jump to the solution too quickly. And the second is they don't include those around them. They don't have a personal board. They don't have peers around them. They don't know how to include their spouse in this process. And so it becomes a disruptive conversation at home that ends in either stalemate or conflict. And what we've tried to do in the Halftime Institute is understand each of those kinds of conversations and then help people integrate those into their life. Peter Drucker said something to Bob in passing. He said, smart people need a safe place among peers to think their confusion out loud. When I first heard that, actually I read it because Bob had those conversations transcribed. I said to myself, really? I'm not so sure. I didn't need a lot of hand-holding to start my business. And yet now, all these years later, he was absolutely true. So talk more about that, because you'd mentioned a personal board of directors before, and I found that for myself as I went through this process, it was one of the most, uh, it turned into be a very intentional and very meaningful part of my entire journey, which I think led me to get where I am now very successfully. Uh, And that idea came from you, and I'd love for you to just share more about that, that role in your life and what you've seen that that impact has had in others that you're working with. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a new idea, of course, and um, it's rooted in ancient uh, ancient history. But it's even great leaders in in the not too distant past had people in their lives like this. C.S. Lewis had his small group of guys that he met with and did life with, and um, William Wilberforce had a group of peers that he did his journey with that kept him in the game for long periods of time. And, and um, the, the basic idea is that you and I need peers around us to help us see life uh, through a different lens, to see the blind spots, to have perspective to, for encouragement when we need it, and wisdom. And they're actually a good source of wisdom and encouragement for your spouse, too. And it gives her or him a, a better perspective on what you're processing in your life. And so 
what we always do the halftime institute in cohort groups to simulate a board even before you've built a board, a personal board. And these are people that, you know, they're looking at your plan and your roadmap and giving you feedback. And in my case, I have three people that are part of my personal board. I meet with them individually. I don't necessarily get them together, all three at once. Um, but they, two live here in town. One lives um, about 10 hours away. So I have to talk to that person by phone regularly and go visit once in a while. But I find three is a good number. Some people have more. They should be people that are following God um, because they bring that wisdom and they're seeking wisdom from the Spirit of God. Although I've had people that have had uh, non-Christians on their personal board and gained a different kind of wisdom from them, but they don't count on spiritual insight from them. They probably should have different personalities. They should each be committed to telling you the truth so that they're not just you know, affirming something that's a bad strategy or a poor idea or, or risky activity. So from the board, insight, truth, what, what, what else would you say the purpose of putting this board? What's the, what's the benefit for people as they assemble a board and start interacting with their own board? Well, I think wisdom, is a, is, wisdom and clarity is the first short term. Um, but for me, the most important piece is finishing well. Howard Hendricks, the great theologian from Dallas Theological Seminary, told Bob Buford that in his 80 years of studying the Bible, he's discovered that 75% of the biblical leaders didn't finish well. Interesting point. So halftime is a thoughtful journey. It probably takes two or three years, maybe a year. But finishing well is a long marathon. And I want to finish well. I don't want to embarrass myself or the Lord. I don't want, you know, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. I don't want to trade my reputation for some stupid short-term strategy. So I know I need wisdom around, people around me who will uh, look out for that. The biggest um, help they, they do for me right now is now that I'm clear on my calling in it's as, as compelling as any business deal I'd ever done. When I show up to do a talk or coach somebody or lead the Halftime Institute, um, it, it's more joyful and more compelling than uh, any deal you, that I've ever done. So it can dominate your life. And so maintaining balance is a difficult thing when you get when your ministry grows and doubles each year and you prune it and it grows a bit more and it's encouraging, inspiring, and you see fruit in people's lives. They help me maintain margin and balance in my life so I don't wear myself out. And they ask me questions about how, how I'm doing in my time with the Lord, how Linda is, how I'm, the time I have with my children since they're all adults and they've moved away now. And they, they challenge me on back-to-back travel. They've said travel every other week, not every week. And, and that, those are all good, healthy things they impose on me for my best interest. So it's also a bit about being held accountable toward moving in the direction that you want to go also. Yeah, absolutely. So the board seems very important once you've really identified this calling that you talked about before, this unique calling. You talked about it in Galatians. What what are some of the things, the aha moments people have had as they're really trying to get in touch with that? I found that people struggle with what is my calling? What is my purpose? The, the meaning that my life will have while I'm down here on this planet. Yeah. Well, you know, so the big picture on that, John, is that as I've studied uh, people that have been in this halftime journey over the last 18 years or so, there are three most common off-ramps, three of the most common reasons that people exit from a quest for significance and simply go back and settle for either a corporate career, you know, without pursuit of significance, like a traditional career, or um, or the leisure life. It, the first one is, the first off-ramp is they don't take the time to get clear on their calling. The second one is they, they don't set a financial finish line. They don't decide how much is enough. And if you don't, you, you, you're never sure when you're done. And the third is they don't engage their spouse in this journey, or they don't know how to engage their spouse. Those are three really significant things that will take you out of this midlife renewal. And 
now let me be clear. I'm not saying that at halftime it's about selling your company. Remember, I didn't. We didn't sell our company. It's not about quitting corporate life. It's about getting clear on your calling and going and doing it. So how do you get clear on your calling? Well, it takes it takes time and it takes experimentation. There there are three major components. First of all, what is it? that you are best at? What are the strengths that you bring to whatever endeavor you put your heart and mind to? And those strengths are the same whether I'm working at home here trying to build a thriving family or if I'm trying to build a thriving real estate business or if I'm trying to lead a ministry like Halftime, the Halftime Institute. So what are your core strengths? Secondly, what are your passions? What do you care the most about? If you could invest your life in only one cause or two, what would those be? And people struggle with that. Sometimes people have none that come to mind. They've been so focused on running an insurance company that they really haven't been exploring and their heart hasn't been open and exposed to lots of different things. So there's a quest for exposure to what um, what God's doing out there that you could be a part of. And then the third piece is what difference do you want to make in the world? Now, if you were able to combine those into one single sentence, you'd have a pretty clear definition of your calling. So for me, I'm a thought leader. If you looked at my strengths finder assessment, I'm a strategist, futurist, activator, belief, and focus. Those are my strength themes. When you combine those, that's a thought leader. 90% of my thinking is in the future. It makes me a terrible business operator. And because they don't operate in the realm of reality and what's happening today. I can always see what could be as if it is. The, the part of what I'm passionate about is helping high-capacity marketplace leaders. I started out trying prison ministry, and it wasn't the right group of people for me. As much as I care about prisoners, it was I had no ex- common experience with them. But once I started coaching senior executives and business owners, all of a sudden I realized – I've been where they are. I felt their pain and the confusion in midlife, and it's just like home for me. And I want to see them make an eternal impact. I don't want them to just go off and live a slightly more meaningful, rich life. I'd like to see them get behind advancing the kingdom of God in this world. So my resulting mission statement or calling is to be a thought leader, mobilizing high-capacity marketplace leaders to make a kingdom impact. It's one sentence, and it's measurable. Now, that's the process, but as you can see, it's kind of complex, and it takes time and patience and testing, but basically it has three pieces, what you bring at your best, what you care the most about, and the difference you want to make in the world, wrapped into one single sentence. You know, I like that. You know, as I went through the process with Halftime, what, what I came up with for myself was to equip and inspire leaders to accomplish what God has inspired in them. And I love the thought that you just had is, you know, there's different groups that you could work with, but the impact, the significance, the difference that you're making might not be as, as big as you want. So how do you map a your skills and your strengths to a group that you can have the most impact and make the most difference with? And that's really, it sounds like the source of these low-cost probes, looking into these areas and applying yourself and saying, okay, is this really making the difference that God's put in my heart. Maybe it is or maybe it isn't. If it's not, let's maybe shift and go in this direction and and see how this works out. Is that correct? Yeah. So a big chunk of our effort at the Halftime Institute is connecting people with opportunities that they can test this out without getting stuck. You know, if your pastor comes up to you and says, hey, you know, you're a wise, you know, financial advisor. We we need help on our board or a board of elders around, you know, financial stewardship. Would you be on the board for the next two or three years? If you don't know whether that's a good fit for you, very seldom, by the way, is a board role your best contribution. And yet many of, many of us fall into those. And then you're trapped for two years and you got this boring meeting for four hours every Monday, you know, first Monday night of every, and you feel guilty because it's your pastor. You love the guy and you love the church. You just don't have the the clarity to tell him, I love you. I love our church. I love what we're doing, but that's not the best role for me. My calling is this. And when you can say, you can't have a firm no until you have a firm yes. So when I can say clearly to someone, I'm a thought leader, I don't take organizational roles. And I focus on high-capacity marketplace leaders. When I work with people who aren't, I end up discouraging them. So it's not an effective 
use of my time. So I just say no with a grin. It's actually even worthwhile writing out your no so that you have the words clear and you, you can just cut and paste it into an email. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm reading a book right now, Essentialism, which is exactly about this topic, but I love what you said. You can't have a firm no until you have a firm yes. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of work on that firm yes, but you know, as leaders and doers and achievers and goal setters, that doing part is easy. Somebody says, be on a board. Well, this looks like it could be alignment. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be part of it. I can put it in my calendar. Mm-hmm. But you haven't, take that, haven't taken that step back and said, who am I being as a person? Mm-hmm. Now, am I resting in what God has called me to do? And am I in touch with that before I move back into that doing? So it's almost taking a step into you know, that, that place where you can just get in touch with who you are, who God created you to be before then you go out and, and you just, you know, hit the accelerator to the floor again. Yeah. It may, you know, that makes me think of Tana that came through the Halftime Institute and she um, owns and runs a company with 2,500 employees. And many of them are forklift operators. It's a temporary employment uh, company. It, she does a great job very effective leader in thinking, you know, do I keep it? Do I grow it? Do I merge it? Do I sell it? What do I do? And what's my calling in my second half? Partway through the year, she said to the group, you know, I realized that when I I got married when I was 16 and uh, because I got pregnant, I was beaten up by my husband for the next four years. Mm. And finally at age 20, I broke free. And I said to myself, I will never be dependent on someone again like that. I'm going to own my own home at 26. I'm going to own my own company at 30. And and she had sort of built this solid wall around herself to protect herself and relied on her amazing talent to to rise above the pain. And as part of this journey, she felt like maybe she should write her story down in an art. So she did. She wrote an article in the in the uh, local magazine, City Magazine. And then one day she was at the grocery store and she was um, checking out and the lady looked at her and said, I know who you are. You're Tana. And she said, well, how do you know me? And she said, well, you wrote that article. And I tore that article out and I gave it to my friend and it gave my friend the confidence to break free from 20 years of being beaten up. Wow. Tana tried to grab her bags and, you know, just and make her way to her car. And she sat in her car and her tears, you know, filled her eyes. She couldn't drive for a while. She realized, wow, God might be taking all the pain in my past and aligning it with my talent as a CEO to transform women's lives in the future. One of the things she realized is that out of um, thousands of employees she has, there are statistically a number of them that are experiencing or part of domestic violence in their own, in their own home. That she didn't have to look very far to make the contribution she really was called to. And today she's the chairwoman of the, her city's domestic violence center and is bringing great leadership there. But it took time to step back and get in touch with her heart. Very often, your passion can be rooted in the pain of your past. You know, that's such a great point. I think of a book called Acres of Diamonds, and you said you don't have to look very far. So if people just have this awareness that everything in their life, all their ups, their downs, all their experiences in business and life and relationships has actually prepared them to be effective right where they're sitting, right where they're standing today, not tomorrow, not some future event. But if you think of things in those terms... You know, it means I'm ready. I'm mm-hmm. ready today, right now. I just maybe just need a little bit of clarity on what that looks like. But, you know, you, you can pop open the hood and say, wow, there's a Porsche engine under there. I never saw it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that happens when, you know, I, I said that um, there are some off-ramps to the journey, this midlife renewal, the journey to second half significance, a second half with more meaning, joy, and balance. One is is not getting clear in your calling. A second one is not deciding how much is enough. A third one is not knowing how to really engage your spouse in this journey so that she understands or he understands and it becomes a win in their life as well. Um, and when you start to 
when you start to see your calling play itself out, even if it's right around you in your current platform, right exactly where you show up every day at the office, it it takes over a part of your heart because it's so fulfilling. And one guy described it to me as he said his desk used to be 80% his business and 20% his avocation. And little by little, his heart as his heart grew in that area, it took over more and more of his desk. And so finally, his, all his business papers were squeezed over in the far corner. And he had all this cool stuff that he was doing that was his passion. And it just migrated. Now, what happens is when that, when that starts to happen, it gives you the impetus to decide how much is enough. And it gives you the impetus to have a conversation with your spouse and say, honey, you, know, you and I have the privilege of planning our second half together. And I want to know what your dreams are, what your calling is. And I, and I want to share a bit of what God's doing in my heart. But I really want to go from writing two separate stories to writing a common narrative in this next 30 years together. And Lloyd, you've written a book on halftime for couples. What are, what are some of the key learning points in there? Well, the reason we did that, first of all, is because we found that when, when people reached halftime, they found it very difficult to know how to talk about it with their spouse. And when they did, they very often created conflict. And so we set out to study that. And Linda and I have done lots and lots of um, couples retreats, halftime institutes for couples. And I said to her five years ago, honey, we, we know our own journey. And I've had tons of time coaching individuals in halftime, but we need to be students. I, I really want you to listen carefully to the heart of a spouse of somebody who's in halftime. What do you hear? What do you learn? What we set out to do is to try to create a roadmap for them, how they could understand where each other are starting in your second half, to, to figure out how to dream separately and then plan together. Turns out if you try to dream together, it gets even more complicated and it turns into spaghetti. But if you dream separately and then plan together, you can start to look, see overlap. You can start to see where there's synergy and how you can accomplish what each is called to do in a way that is a cohesive plan. Most couples, when they reach this midpoint in life, they have a plan for houses, like where are you going to live in the winter, where you can live in the summer, etc. They have a plan around hobbies and travel. Um, they often have a plan around their estate and le living, a, a leaving a legacy with the kids, a plan around how much they're going to leave and how much they're going to spend. But very, very seldom do they have a plan where they understand each other's calling and they know what kind of overlap there will be. Very seldom do they have a plan together to build a thriving family. They, there's, I often hear guys, when I ask them about their family, they'll say to me, well, you know, the last one just graduated from college, so she is off the payroll. <laughs> and I know you got a few years left on that, but our last one graduated in last May. And the sense when you hear that is that their job is done that their parenting and family leadership role is done. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. We have a very strategic leadership role. It's just different in these next 30 years. And so one of the things we've helped couples do is think through what are your dreams for the long term and how to share them effectively with each other? Where are you starting? Because you're often starting halftime at a different place and you need to understand where each other is starting. And if you don't, it's like setting out on a trip together. And you're in, you know, you're in your city and I'm in my city and we both go to GPS and we say that we want to travel to LA. And for you, it says go out to Highway 40 and turn west. And for me, it says, you know, something completely different. And so we're confused because we don't realize we're starting from different places. And when couples start out in their second half, they have a, a reasonable idea of what they want in the longer term, but they don't realize how different their starting places are. Let me illustrate it briefly for you. A person that's been in an intensive career could be starting from a place where they feel trapped. Trapped in a career that's overpaying but underfulfilling. 
or they might have just been downsized from corporate America and they feel like they've lost their platform. Or they could be three years away from mandatory retirement as an airline pilot or something like that. Those are three very different starting places. Or they could they could sense that I have been living out my calling in this corporate role for the last 28 years, and now I feel like God's changing my calling. Those are those all those starting places are different. A spouse may be starting from a place where she or he is feeling uh, a bit ticked off and underappreciated after 25 years. You know, you were gone all the time. You had no idea how many plates I kept spinning. The dog, the cat, the PTA, three kids, your parents got sick. I was running around taking care of that. And now you're telling me the next 25 years you're going to spend, you're going to go off and do some new calling and it's a God thing. I can't even argue with that. <laughs> it's just so unfair. So she or he may be just ticked off and not say that until you get to the root of it. Or they could be comfortable. This is common in, in Christian circles where you one per, where, where there is success, is you settle into comfort. I, I love my country club. I love my church. I love my small group. And I finally get out of the carpool line. I don't care what you do, but don't mess with my life. <laughs> it's I don't want change. Exactly. And another one is I'm just drafting behind you. I hear this a lot. You know, you know, my spouse is a great leader. They provide a vision for the family. I'll draft behind them. And and then there's someone who says, look, I've been waiting and praying for this day for years. I'm so excited about the future. W- whatever. The, the, there are eight different starting places for a spouse of someone in halftime. But knowing where they're starting from is important. So the book Halftime for Couples is a free ebook designed for people who don't read books because it's 90 minutes long. It's a 90-minute read where the stories come alive by video. So you don't even have to read the stories. You can just click and watch them. And designed to create a conversation that will be healthy as you dream together for a second half. That's awesome. Well, as we wrap up, as somebody's listening to this whole conversation, Lloyd, what are some of the key takeaways you'd like to leave with them in a, in a just a, maybe a call to action for their life? I would say the very first thing is to is to get clear between yourself and the Lord about what you want your life to count for. Back to that question, if my life turned out perfectly, what would the elements be? To stop and really think about, do you really want to live a meaningful, intentional second half of life that's based on God's call, even if it's not as comfortable and as flexible and as convenient as it might otherwise be? Because if you don't, don't, don't toy around with this. But if you do, then second is I would get the help you need. It's just like building an investment portfolio. You wouldn't just go do it willy-nilly. So that's what the Halftime Institute's designed for, is to help you get everything you need. It's process, stories, peers, coaching, everything you need to figure this out. And then engage your spouse in the conversation. And if I were doing it again, John, what I would do is I'd go home and say, honey, you know what? I know that you still got kids at home and you're busy with that. I'm running a real estate you know, business, but I've been thinking about this second half of life and, and we're soon we're going to have all kinds of flexibility. When the last kid leaves home, your job's description is going to change whether you like it or not. And I would like to plan the second half of life together. And yet, I feel like for the last 25 years, you've put my interest ahead of yours, and I would like to put your interests ahead of mine. I would like to know what your dreams are. You may not have them right now, and that's okay, but I would love to put your dreams ahead of mine in this next season, and and then start to plan some of that and see, see how I can't be a help to whatever it is that God's got on your heart. You know, the biggest, single biggest surprise for me after these 15 years and 10,000 hours of coaching is that the most fulfilling thing for a successful Christian man in his second half of life is not his business and it's not his ministry. It turns out empirically to be helping his spouse discover her calling and really flourish in living it out. And you may not believe me, and I don't blame you for not believing me. I wouldn't have believed me 10 years ago, but it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. This was an interview that I wasn't able to be at, but I have a feeling even if I was, I probably wouldn't have said much and probably just taken lots of notes like I did just listening to it now. If you would like more information about Lloyd's book, 
from Success to Significance, his speaking schedule, or how to learn more about him, we'll have all those links and more in our show notes at eternalleadership.com slash zero three seven. That's eternalleadership.com slash zero three seven. As I said at the top of the show, if you're in that halftime season, you want to make adjustments for the second half of your life and move towards a life of significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime and there you'll and there you can sign up for our and there eternalleadership.com slash halftime and there you can sign up to receive your free copy of halftime. Both of those links to the show notes and to get your copy of halftime can be found embedded in this mp3 within the description of this episode just click on the link on your smartphone tablet or computer and it'll take you right to those pages one last thing if you're on social media look us up facebook.com slash eternal leadership on twitter at eternal leaders or john is at john ramstead or me at coolbeans 59 or find us on LinkedIn. We've got a private LinkedIn group where you can interact with John, myself, many of our show's guests. Just type eternalleadership.com into the search box and you'll see the group right there. Next time on Eternal Leadership, speaker and author of the book, Defeating Strongholds of the Mind, A Believer's Guide to Breaking Free, Rebecca Greenwood. You know how I define a stronghold that it is actually a lie that the enemy tells us or our life circumstances or perceptions might speak to us and we will count it as true, but it is actually false. And so what we try to help people identify is what is that root issue, that open door in your life or that trauma that will cause you to start feeling uh, you know, unworthy or fear of success or fear of failure. Becca explains the biblical idea of strongholds, how they form in our minds, hold us back and how to tear them down. If you've ever struggled with anything like anger, depression, fear, rejection, anything that's holding you back, this is a show you won't want to miss. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.